Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of August 27th through the 29th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. We're coming up on the end of August and the end of the summer 2020, uh, 2021 blockbuster season. Uh, traditionally, the last weekend of August is pretty weak, all things considered, you know, with kids going back to school, Labor Day coming up and so on. So um, generally not the best time for the box office. And, you know, not, I wouldn't say that this is the best weekend that we've had this year so far, but um, I don't think it's the worst by, for, for obvious reasons. Um, we have one more major film coming out later for the, block, for the summer season, uh, coming out next weekend. But for now, let's take a look at this week's numbers. In first place, we have a newcomer in Candyman from Universal, opening to $22 million in 3,569 theaters per theater average of $6,185. This is a sequel to the 1992 film with the same name and was produced and co-written by Jordan Peele and co-written and directed by Nia DaCosta. Uh, this actually makes her the first black, black woman director to have a number one film at the box office, uh, which potentially could actually happen again next year since she is also the director of the MCU's upcoming sequel to Captain Marvel called The Marvels. Uh, in other historical news, uh, Candyman is also the third or fourth best uh, final weekend of August behind the Final Destinations 27.4 million in 2009, Don't Reach 26.4 million in 2016, and 2007's Halloween, which opened to 26.3 million but also had the benefit of Labor Day weekend, hence why it's like somewhat fuzzy. Um, the long range forecast has been in about the 9 to 14 million dollar range from box office pros and even if they updated their number to about $20 million right before the weekend, um, this still outperformed that, so pretty good all around. Uh, looking into the Friday to Saturday numbers, which, you know, as we talked about last episode, might be a good indicator for a, show's, for a film's legs um, if it's released in August. Um, inclusive of Thursday previews, it ended up making $9.2 million on Friday and then dropped a mere 14% to $7.9 million on Saturday before rounding out with a $4.8 million on Sunday, so look like this might have pretty good legs. Also, as expected for a film produced by Jordan Peele, it over-indexed on African-Americans at 37% of the audience. In comparison, Jungle Cruise opened to about 13, 1-3% African-American. Rotten Tomatoes has this film at an 85%, uh, which is pretty certified fresh, um, and then CinemaScore has this at a pretty solid B. Um, now, internationally, this film opened in 51 markets to about $5.23 million uh, for a running total of $27.3 million so far. Not bad for a film with a $25 million production budget. Uh, horror films are going to horror, I guess. Uh, in second place, we have Free Guy continuing its amazing run of the summer uh, with a 29% third weekend drop to follow up its 35% drop last weekend, uh, making $13.1 million this weekend in 2,940 theaters for a per theater average of $3,341. Uh, running domestic total as of week three is $78.9 million. Um, now, I actually saw Free Guy myself uh, this past weekend, and I'll be talking about it later this episode, but performance-wise, you know, not really much more can be said here just the fact that it's just an amazing performance. Uh, globally, it's made about $100.3 million abroad, crossing you know that $100 million mark internationally. Uh, helped out with a $23.9 million start in China this weekend. Again, that's something we'll talk about later this episode. Um, for a running total of $179.6 million Lifetime, against a budget of $100-$125 million. Uh, estimates for Lifetime total, uh, if you know by the end of this run, if things hold, suggest maybe a $300 million total. Uh, good for top six or seven for the year. Um, as is, it's also on the verge of crossing into the top 10 behind Jungle Cruise's $187 million.
Now, speaking of Jungle Cruise, they're currently at number four this weekend, skipping over number three for a quick second. Um, you know, making five million dollars after dropping an excellent twenty-one percent in three thousand three hundred and seventy theaters for per theater average of one thousand four hundred and eighty-four dollars, domestic total of a hundred million dollars as of week five. Now, between that and one hundred eighty-seven million worldwide number we just mentioned, plus whatever else is made on Disney Plus, uh, Food Meal Access, uh, we just got confirmation that the sequel is in the works. Uh, even if even if this one had a two hundred million dollar budget and isn't likely to make much more than that, um, I guess this means that Emily Blunt won't be joining Scarlett Johansson in suing Disney, but rather will take the side of Emma Stone, uh, who you know similarly got a sequel to uh, Cruella. Now, no details have been leaked regarding any compensation or make goods they might have made to you know make up for the uh, potential lost revenue from this one and keep them from suing. But I suspect that's probably playing into the different approaches here. Uh, Emily Blunt probably wants to continue working with Disney for her career and also has the outlet of a potential sequel of this somewhat new franchise to make up for whatever loss happened in this first iteration. Scarlett Johansson, on the other hand, with Black Widow, you know, can't just tell Kevin Feige, hey, make me a Black Widow 2 uh, so I can get, you know, get compensation for this terrible Black Widow 1 uh, with, a, with a higher salary and make good. I think she's kind of capped out her potential with Disney at this point, um, which is why I think she's just cutting her losses and moving on to other projects. Um, now, we also got Nielsen numbers for Jungle Cruise's opening weekend, and it came in at number three for that weekend, uh, excluding HBO Max for mo among movies, um, you know, behind the Blood Sky on Netflix and Luca on Disney Plus. Now, anyway, back to number three, uh, Paw Patrol dropped 49% uh, in its second weekend to $6.6 million in 3,189 theaters, per theater average of 2,087, and a running total of $24.1 million. Adding another $37.8 million offshore, and the running total is now $61.9 million in week two. Pretty solid given it had a $26 million budget. Um, I somehow use their catchphrase of whatever they say in the in the TV show, uh, how you shouldn't doubt the power and the appeal of Paw Patrol, but I know nothing about that, so, you know, let's just go ahead and move on. Now, running on the top five, we have Don't Breathe in its uh, third weekend at $2.8 million, dropping 43% uh, in 2,703 theaters for a per theater average of $1,059 and a running total of $24.6 million. Adding on $10.7 million from abroad, it now sits at $35.3 million against a budget of $15 million, which is certainly impressive, though compared to the original numbers we mentioned earlier, opening domestically at about $26 million, uh, the sequel has far to go before it matches the $158 million dollars it made globally uh, that the original made globally rather now actually the top five there's you know a couple things here nothing too interesting uh most films in their second through fourth week uh in the bottom half of the top 10 dropped between 40 percent to as much as 58 percent uh the night house um similarly reminiscence from warner brothers is actually outside the top 10 in its second weekend at number 11 with only eight hundred and twenty thousand dollars and a 58 percent drop of its own honestly it's not the worst drop of hbo's second second week drops you know ranked seven out of 12 but again having the worst wide release of any film in history uh, even if it doesn't have like the worst job it's still not going to make much money uh, Old from M. Night Shyamalan is hanging in there at number 10 with a 27% drop uh, in its you know uh, sixth weekend and a running total of $46 million. And in respect to the Aretha Franklin uh, you know, um, biopic, uh, I think it's thrown in the towel at this point. It's coming out on VOD uh, two weeks into its release. Uh, I expected to see maybe 1,000 plus theaters being dropped next weekend. 
Uh, Black Widow hangs in there at 12th place with less than a million made this week and a domestic running total of $181 million, uh, sneaking past the original Thor to become the fourth lowest grossing MCU film. Um, there was also a Spanish language animated film that came out this weekend, uh, Un Rescate de Huevitos, or An Egg Rescue, uh, that while making less than a million dollars total only uh, in, th- in 320 theaters, that still worked out to about a, a 1300 per theater average, which, okay, not the highest per theater average of the week even, but given it's a Spanish language animated film in theaters, not that bad for a super niece, niece, niece film. Uh, overall, domestic box office sits at $61.1 million. Uh, for what it's worth, while the total box office has been trending downward for a couple of weeks at this point, it's still not the lowest it's been all summer. That would be the weekend of July 18th when Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard opened and total box office was only $45 million. Uh, and compared to a year ago when we were at $12.5 million with New Mutants being the top of the leaderboard, uh, this is doing a little bit better. Uh, the last weekend of August in August 2019, on the other hand, was at $91.9 million with no wide opening films uh, as another point of comparison of how far we have to go. Uh, as far as next weekend on Labor Day weekend, well, Shang-Chi is obviously the talk of the town uh, from the MCU. Uh, pre-sales were at $6.6 million for opening weekend, about $4.6 million on opening day, about a week before release. That's about three and a half times what the Suicide Squad had for pre-sales, but also only about three-fifths of what Black Widow uh, pre-sales were, according to one source online. That suggests about a $60 to $70 million three-day weekend total, um, and then a 70 to $85 million four-day total, um, which, you know, I think would be pretty respectable for a brand new, uh, you know, Avenger, um, you know, especially given how, you know, Black Widow did 80 million on its own over a three-day weekend. Um, it's likely, go- it's definitely, I think, going to blow the Labor Day weekend num- uh, record numbers out of the water. Uh, so for the top film is Halloween from 2007 that we mentioned before at 26.3 over the three-day weekend and 30.5 million over the four-day weekend. I myself already have tickets for myself and my wife for Saturday morning. Uh, so it looks like, you know, we're going to be getting to 4,200 theaters across the nation. Uh, that being said, internationally, which we'll get to in a second, uh, it's not looking as great since, you know, one, you know, some countries that are particularly strong Marvel uh, countries such as Korea might have, you know, some anti-Chinese specific sentiment. Um, we're not exactly sure how um, how China is going to be. We don't think there's going to be a China release uh, immediately. Um, but at the very least, we don't have premier, we don't have premier access piracy to worry about that there. But more importantly, internationally, about sixty percent of theaters that would normally run an MCU film are closed or have restrictions in place internationally, which will definitely impact numbers. Um, you know, lockdown wise, as we you know, the, you know, we have uh, um, you know, EU has its health pass requirement hit, uh, affecting numbers. Sixty five percent of Australia is on lockdown currently, and all of New Zealand, um, you know, officially in, in, in New Zealand, Sanctuary was delayed uh, back to uh, September 16th. Um, and in Japan, has limits on 90% of the market. Korea is a four and level four states lockdown. And in all of Southeast Asia, aside from Singapore, um, are also completely locked down as well. Uh, so really, it's going to have to be carried by the U.S. for its opening weekend. Um now, internationally, right, like, so aside from, you know, the lockdown situations, we do have some other benchmarks that some films have hit. Uh, F9 officially passed $700 million. It's currently at $704.2 million. Uh, 
it crosses Detective Chinatown 3 to be the second highest grossing film of the year so far behind High Mom's $848 million. I don't think it's going to get out that far, but, you know, good job to F9. Uh, Luca, which released in countries without Disney+, Plus, has currently hit $43 million so far. And then we also got some other landmarks. Uh, the Suicide Squad that hit $100 million offshore um, for $151 million global total. And The Boss Baby hit $100 million globally. Uh, and then Space Jam 2 hit $150 million globally. Now moving back to China, as we know that the Free Guy has a pretty decent opening over there, coming in number one uh, at 20, 23.9 million US dollars in China. And a pretty decent score on Maoyan, uh, their equivalent of Rotten Tomatoes, with a 9.2 out of 10. So you know, pretty good word of mouth so far. Uh, Maoyan forecasts a $75 million lifetime uh, growth from China. They really performed, so it could potentially overperform that, maybe 80 or even $100 million by the end of its run. Um, but we'll say maybe like $80 million as, as, as we're... The expectation might end up being. Now, in second place, we have Raising Fire ending its month-long run uh, with an 8.6 million final weekend and a final total of $164.3 million. In third place, we have a new film, youth drama Farewell, My Lad, opening to $2.35 million US dollars. Fourth place, we have Luca in its second weekend, making 2.34 for a $10.5 million running total in China. And then finally, White Snake 2 Green Snake uh, seems to have gotten an extension in the past the usual month long run, uh, coming in fifth, making $1.6 million this weekend for a running total of $86.2 million US dollars. Outside the top five, in sixth place, we have Chaos Walking, from in seven, opening to $788,000. Um, you know, the first live, technically, aside from, I guess, against Free Guy, one of the first two live acts in Hollywood films, though it seems unlike Free Guy, uh, it's, you know, uh, or maybe like Free Guy, um, it's performing as it is in China, as it did here, which is to say, uh, not that well. Now, as far as dates goes, you know, uh, you know, looking uh, for China, September 3rd, this coming weekend, we have The Tomorrow War, which, while it didn't have a, th a theatrical release here in the States, has been apparently super successful for Amazon on streaming. Currently on Doban, due to, you know, obviously, since on Amazon, it's, it's, there's piracy available there. Um, it has a 6 out of 10 uh, on Doban, which doesn't suggest super long legs, but we'll see how it ends up doing. Uh, we don't, again, have the date for Shang-Chi. It's unlikely, I think, going to be this coming weekend. China has been giving films about a week's uh, heads up before they go can release, um, which does impact marketing, I think. But, you know, I think if we're going to have Sanxi maybe next weekend, we'll know by the time this episode airs. All that being said, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer was extremely well-received over there, which bodes well for at least one MCU film later this year. Um, of course, we don't know how the Eternals will end up doing, given Chloe Zhao's situation. But, you know, going back to Spider-Man, that brings us to the, the general headlines this week. Uh, while last week we didn't have an official confirmation and it seems like the 24-hour viewership of the trailer was 355.5 million views, uh, blowing past Endgame trailers' uh, numbers of $289 million total, or sorry, 289 million views total, and over doubled 135 million views that Spider-Man Far From Home got. Hopefully this helps the cumulative box office for the year. According to Comscore, so far we're about 11.64 billion globally for the year, 64% ahead of 2020's 7.94 billion, same time period last year. Uh, North America's, the domestic box office, is about 1.96 billion, just barely ahead of the 1.93 billion we were at this time last year. 
Now, there is a bunch of news out of CinemaCon continuing from last weekend. I won't relay all of it, but, you know, we got the first look at Paramount's films with Miss Impossible 7 and Top Gun Maverick. Uh, and attendees also got to see Lionsgate's uh, Nick Cage self-parody, uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. On to the movie production and date side of things. Apparently, Barry Jenkins' The Lion King prequel, which is basically a Mufasa origin story, uh, has found its voice leads. Uh, the Kingsman prequel launched its Red Band trailers last week, uh, saying a December 22nd release date, which is kind of crazy they go in Spider-Man No Way Home, honestly, but hey, it's counter-programming. Uh, and then Lionsgate is, selling, is setting a football drama American underdog about NFL MVP Hall of Famer Kurt Warner for Christmas Day. Uh, we also got news that Netflix is not only picking up the next entry in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film franchise for release, but according to a J.P. Morgan analyst, they are also planning on having more theatrical releases, as we reported last week, uh, to quote, have a bigger cultural impact, i.e. to fight off the crazy drop-off in the news cycle around films after they, after they drop them, uh, as is the case when it's still online only. Uh, good move in my opinion, and kind of funny to see, given all of the anti-theater rhetoric out there um, saying streaming slash day-and-date releases are you know more than sufficient uh, for a film to survive on. Seems that Netflix doesn't believe that's the case. Um, in any case, to wrap up this sort of episode, let's go into what I've been watching uh, and let me give my thoughts on Free Guy. So, you know, Free Guy, as we said, is, you know, a very rare case of a non-Pixar original IP coming out of Disney. And as we know, this is, you know, originally a Fox film that got acquired. Um, you know, I guess Fox obviously had a relationship with Ryan Reynolds and, you know, part of that is the Deadpool character that he played in. To some degree, you know, the fourth wall-breaking element of Deadpool is definitely here. But aside from that, you know, this film, this film, people have said have a lot of different influences, right? There's kind of like a Ready Player One element in here. Um, there's obviously influences of Grand Theft Auto and Fortnite. Um, to some degree, the Truman Show um, of people, you know, realizing that they're a form of entertainment for others. And like, I get all of those. I think overall, just not to bury the lead, my score for the free guy is maybe like a three out of five, right? You know, I think it's going to, I think, in a couple of years, feel pretty dated, uh, just kind of like given the reference. I, I I will say it does like do a decent job of of portraying the way that people and interact with gaming, at least to some degree, right? I think it's like a, a little bit of an exaggerated take, especially with the way that Twitch streamers and, and YouTubers kind of react. There are definitely some, I think, who who are like that, but it's also, I think, a little bit exaggerated for the for the for the case of the story though it was cool i guess to see some some uh youtube uh and youtube and twitch celebrities um kind of making appearances in this film as far as the actual plot and the story i think nothing's particularly novel honestly right right like um minor minor spoilers here but i think you could figure this out you know the the premise is that uh guy is a is a is an npc in some you know gta equivalent online um and he ends up breaking free of his programming um it probably wouldn't surprise you and again this is a, a plot point but i don't think fairly predictable that he's a form of an artificial intelligence basically um and, you know, oh, artificial intelligence and, you know, oh, but then there's this evil megalomaniac, uh, sociopathic, whatever, um, you know, business person played by Taika Waititi, very comedically, I might add, um, who is willing to, you know, put it away while the game create, like the, you know, programmers who originally used it, uh, who created the code for him, want to preserve him, yada, 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 and, and, and finding your own way in life, you know, all very common themes we've seen over and over again. I, 
all the, all that semi rambling since I didn't actually write this part of the script out to say that it's nothing I don't think we haven't seen before. I think where it differs is that it it has a lot of heart to it, um, and part of it, right? Like we we did say, right? Like it's not really a brand an, uh, an existing IP beyond whatever Ryan Reynolds bring as his you know kind of character here. Um, I think you know he definitely is very charismatic. The jokes definitely do hit. To some to some degree, right? I will say I I think the writing is a little bit weaker, if only because I don't know. Maybe it's me being a business major and working in corporate America, but I find it somewhat out of the uh, and, and and having you know have having an interest in game development, not doing it myself, but definitely keeping track of game developers. It just feels very unreal. It felt it felt very cartoonishly, uh, you know. Cartoon twirlessly, you know, mustache twirling, uh, evil of the CEO to kind of do the actions that he did, um, especially when it comes to the way uh, the way that they were moderating the game. This like definitely stretched my suspension of disbelief in that element. Maybe someone like you know, oh, it's like you know, your parents don't really know like how moderation online works and they think this is how it is. So okay, fine, maybe that's a little bit believable. So I was a little bit more into it. While again, elements of the gaming industry were well portrayed. I think, um, even though I think they'll be dated in maybe five years whenever the next big thing in in media comes out like a lot of these references are going to like aids horribly um other than that right like i think for this moment in this time i think that it definitely has like a, a positive uplifting message which i think people also are looking for um so you know i think the heart the message carry this a lot um now i will say there is one particular moment uh toward the toward the climax close to the climax of the film where I was I saw this in theater. The theater wasn't the fullest, but there were definitely some people, and I just busted out laughing. You know, it's essentially essentially why you could tell this was something they inserted into the film after the Disney acquisition, because obviously, again, this was originally a a Fox production. I don't know if it was actually had been produced before the Disney acquisition or not, um, but this was definitely something that that definitely paid a lot of uh, reference to the fact that hey, this is a Fox film that is now acquired by Disney. I mean, you know, yes, there was like a, um, a Deadpool poster in the background as a quick cameo, but that's Ryan Reynolds. Um, they went full on, you know, sewing off the MC so references to the MCU and and other stuff that uh that the um that the Disney properties uh, have access to. I won't I won't say much more than that, but I will say when you when you see it, you'll you'll see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. I was cackling for a solid minute and a half, honestly. Probably the most I've laughed in the theater the entire year. Um, it will take a lot to actually beat that that just get guffawing moment for me. So, again, overall free guy, enjoyable enough for sure. I think well deserved. Um, again, being an original property to have the success it's, have, success it's having, and would say you should probably go see it if if not to support movie theaters just because hey, it'll be a fun time. Um, that I think is generally inoffensive all around. Um, though it was kind of funny seeing uh you know again something that comes to mind is like the juxtaposition between the players who were playing the game and their avatars. Um, especially when it was like little kids cursing because like. Yeah, I guess like kids curse now. Um, you know, thinking about it, you know, it, it's a lot. It's something I guess that's much more common in movies now, just because it's reality. Whereas I think when I was growing up as a kid and there were video game movies, you didn't really see that as much. Maybe I was just much more solid as a kid. Anyway, again, free guy. I've been rounding enough for this. Uh, free guy, three out of five. Would recommend you go watch it and have a good time. Uh, 
probably preferably with friends, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Suit me ideas for what else I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. At the very least, tell a friend any of that helps. Feeling extra generous? Consider supporting us on Patreon. Makes it not only this show, but all the other shows I work on. Links to all of that will be in our show notes. Uh, numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at the competech.filmmusic.io. Editing productions provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on.